Well, Keith's not here again, but he's doing good. And uh, he's still good looking, and he's still very rich, and he's still, you know, very sweet, and all those wonderful. I think he's even better than what he was, you know. Uh, but uh, he's spending some extra time with the Lord, and so uh, y'all just keep praying, you know, and hooking with him for direction and answers and the right place, the right time, and all the right answers to everything he needs to know and do and see, and, and we'll be at the right place exactly when we need to be. Y'all believe that? I believe that. I believe that. And so uh, we're going to go on. And so if you came to visit this morning to see Keith, you got him. I'm half of him anyway. So uh, you got him anyway. So no, yesterday morning I woke up and uh, the Lord gave me something and I got so excited about it. And so I started telling Keith about it. We talked about it some yesterday and you're going to be excited about it. So uh uh, are you ready? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you, every person in here, someplace, somehow, and it's going to help you. I know. Because um, one of them's even for me, and I just, I just did it anyway. And so uh, you'll see it. So uh, you're going to know the stories. You're not going to need to hang on to your Bible all day long, and it's a good day just to sit and relax. And last week I gave you a break because you had to get up early, but this week you don't get a break. <laughs> So you got to hook, you got to stay awake, and we're going to have some fun. You ready for it? All right. Y'all stay ready on the screens. I should have given them a copy of my notes. Sometime I do that. I should have done that, but I didn't this morning. So if you will, turn with me to Psalm 34. The title this morning is Not The, But My True Deliverer. Yeah, Mine. Mine. Say it. My true deliverer. He is mine. Psalm 34 said, verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. And he saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him, and... Delivers them. What's that next one? Put the next one up there so everybody can see it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. The Living Bible says for verse 7, The angel of the Lord guards and rescues all that reverence him. The New Living says, In verse 7, the angel of the Lord is a guard and he surrounds and defends all who fear him. So he delivers them, he rescues them, and he defends them. Does that apply to anybody? I think so. Hebrews 1 verse 13 says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Verse 14 in the Amplified says, Are not all the angels... Ministering spirits, servants sent out in the service of God 
for the assistance of who? Who is that? That's about, raise your hands again. Uh, No, 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 no. You didn't all have your hands raised. Let's try that one more time. Now, who is that? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's you. The ministering spirits are sent out to minister for who? Me. Do they minister for you? Right. They minister for you. So pay close attention this morning to what the ministering spirits are supposed to do for you. For you in here are the ones that raise their hands at least. Okay. Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazite, where the son of Gideon was threshing the wheat. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, Judges 6, 11, now we're on verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I don't much think Gideon felt like a mighty warrior. But it does you good to agree with with what God calls you. If he calls you a mighty warrior, what should you say? I'm a mighty warrior. All of a sudden, you become what? A mighty warrior. Listen to what Gideon says and see if you can relate in any way to what Gideon is saying here. But, sir, Gideon replied, if, now you've never used this word, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You never said that, right? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When, they said, the Lord would bring us out of Egypt. But now the Lord's abandoned us unto the Midians, or unto the enemy. Now, you've never said anything like that. If the Lord's with us, why has he abandoned us? Right? Well, the Lord turned to him and said, this is one of my favorite parts. Go in the strength you have. He didn't say, Gideon, muster up some more strength. Gideon, do this. Gideon, do that. Gideon, you're not strong enough. Gideon, he called him a mighty warrior. And evidently, he didn't have a whole lot of strength because he says, go in the strength you have. You may not feel like you have a whole lot of strength left right now. But go in the strength that you have right now, mighty warrior. Go in your strength. Listen to what he says. And save Israel. And I added in here, you mighty warrior. Out of Midian's hand or out of the enemy's hand. Am I not sending you? This is what Gideon says. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. 
And the Lord answered, what? I will be with you. And I will strike down all the Midians together. So what did Gideon have to do? Just do what the Lord told him to do. He didn't have to do anything else but just go in the strength that he had. That's it. Absolutely nothing else. Just get up. Maybe you feel weak today. Just get up and take that step. Go in the strength that you have. That's it. That's all it... And he called him a mighty warrior in the strength that he had. He didn't say, I'm going to add anything to you. He didn't say, I'm going to go do it for you. Is what he said. You just get up and go in the strength that you have. All right? First Kings chapter 19. This is still the NIV, guys. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. Now, you know the story. I'm not going to read all these stories because it'll take us all day. I think I've got 19 pages here. I could do a seminar like Keith says. I got so excited yesterday, I kept finding story after story after story. You know the story. Elijah, the prophet, verse 3, was afraid and he ran for his life from that woman, Jezebel. Now, you ever been afraid of a woman? He was afraid. And he ran for his life. Because she was going to take his life. And verse 5 it says, Then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time. And he touched him and he said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food he traveled. Not complicated. Then... He traveled the 40 days and nights. He came to a cave. He spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. I've been doing all these things for you. People rejected your covenant. They broke down your altars and your prophets have been killed by a sword. And I'm the onlyest one in the whole wide world left. (laughs) And now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said, go and stand out by the mountain. So he did that. And you know the story. The Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. But he was in the quiet whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he did the things that he was told to do. And the Lord asked him again, what you doing? He said, I'm the only one left. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. And then anoint Jehu. And then anoint Elisha. And then anoint, uh, let's see. um, No, that was it. Anoint Jehu and Elisha. And then verse 17, it says, Jehu will put to death those who escape by the sword of Haziel. 
And Elisha will put to death those who escape by the sword of Jehu. And he said, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elisha went from there. Elijah went from there and found Elisha. And he was plowing 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up and he threw his cloak around him. And Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I'll come after you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment and cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate and he set out to follow Elijah. He set out to follow Elijah and be his attendant. Now when I read that story, I got set free. This is my story. You want to know why? Some of you are going, I am so confused. Good. I'll tell you why. Because... You don't have to know nothing. All you got to do is go to sleep. And an angel can come and wake you up and tell you to eat this and you'll be strong. And then I'm going to anoint this chosen one and they're going to come and help you. And then I'm going to anoint this chosen one, and they're going to come and help you. And then I'm going to anoint this chosen one, and they're going to come and help you. And you're going to do what I called you to do. So what are you worried about? All you've got to do is go that way and go this way and follow this step and follow this step and follow this step. And, and you just lay there and relax. You just do exactly what he told you to do. Is that not what he did? Look at it again. He said, uh, go back up. You, you got confused in the middle of it. You thought, why is she reading me all of this? It said, the Lord said, verse 11, go stand by the mountains. First he told him to eat. The little angel of the Lord came back and said, eat this cake. You ain't got enough strength. So he got up and he ate. The angel came back, eat again. You ain't got enough strength. So he ate. Now what was he doing? He laid down under a tree and fell asleep. And the angel woke him up and said, wake up and eat. So he woke up and he ate. How hard is it to do exactly what you're told to do? How confusing is that? Get up and eat. Then, after you get up and eat, then you say, "Uh, well, what do I do now, Lord? Okay, go stand on the mountain, okay? I ate, and now I'm going to go stand on the mountain. Okay, I'm standing on the mountain, Lord. Now I'm going to wait. Then you're going to tell me again. Okay, so he comes back, and he stands, and he tells him in a small voice, Lord, what do I do now? He says, okay, you go anoint this person, this person, and this person. And they're going to go kill this one, this one, this one. And what they don't get, I've got 7,000 people to take care of it for you. So what these three anointed people that i got to be right close to you, they don't take care of, the rest of the church people are going to take care of it. I told you it was my story. So I've been fretting over nothing. Okay, go start another church, Phyllis. What's the big deal? 
I'm going to send this person to help you and this person to help you and this person to help you. And what they don't take care of or they forget, then the other one will go take care of it. And what they forget, then the other person will remember. And what they forget, then the other person will remember. And if they all forget it, I'm going to send you 7,000 people that will help you remember it. Now, if he'll do that for me, hey, I'm just going to go to sleep. And eat too, I reckon. Will he do it for you? How hard is that? Not very hard, right? You want another story? Second Kings. What did he do there? Did he rescue him? Out of Jezebel's hand? I think he did. Second Kings, chapter 6. Now, the king of Aram was kind of um, upset because there was a man that kept telling all the secrets that was going on in his camp. And he couldn't figure out what was going on, how that somebody kept knowing all of his secrets that was going on. And so he called all of his people together and all of his officers together. Uh, Second Kings, let's see, let's start at verse 12 to save time. And he asked his people, he said, he asked all of his commanders, and he said, who's doing this? And he said, none of us, my lord. And he said, it's Elisha, that prophet. And verse 13 says, go find out where he is. And he says, so I can send a man and capture him. So Elisha, there he was. Verse 14. So he sent horses and chariots and strong forces, and they went out by night and surrounded the city. And verse 15. And the servant of the man of God got up early in the morning. And an army, 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 army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And the servant said, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? Now, you never said that either. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? You never looked at your husband and said, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? Or you never looked at your wife and said, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? These bills are due. They're going to take our house. They're going to take our car. What are we going to do? Well... Here's what he said, verse 16. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more. Than those who are with them. And verse 17 says, And Elisha prayed. And the Lord opened his eyes so that he could see. And... The hills were full of horses and chariots of fire. I think our eyes need to be open sometime. So that we can see who's there helping us. And the enemy came down to the camp. And uh, this is the funny part. And they got struck with blindness. And Elisha told him, he said, "Uh, where are we going? He said, oh, just follow me. Now they're blind. And who are they following? The enemy. Now what about in your life? Does it feel like sometimes that there's a whole enemy camp encircled round about you? And when you get finished, it's like you can play a game, you know, and you've got an enemy circle camp around you. And uh, 
you got your little gun out and you can shoot this one down. But as soon as, soon as you got him shot down, you got another one that's standing right there to get you again. Well, you know what? You could do just exactly like Elijah did, Elisha did, and they could be blind and you could just lead them right down the, the path and they could get so confused they could just run into each other and who knows what could happen to them. Confusion could come on them and they could follow you down the path in the right direction. Every person that's causing you problems, you could lead to the Lord because that's exactly what happened to them. They just led them right into Samaria, right into the city like a little puppy dog. All the enemy was blind and followed the wrong person. He says, what are we going to do with them? We're going to kill them? He says, no, we're going to feed them. We're going to take care of them. But that's what could happen to your enemy. You don't kill them. You feed them. What? The Word. Perfect opportunity. All the enemies that are against you, you pray for their blindness for the things that they're coming against you with. And God can open their eyes to the things that you want them to see. And you can be setting people free instead of them attacking you. Because there's more with you than against you. But if you continue trying to fight them, did he try to fight them? But that's what so often we try to do, is get into the fight with them. And if we try to fight with them, we will lose them. But if we pray for them, we will win them. And you'll lead them straight into the right camp and you'll feed them. Read the whole story. Matthew 14. We've got lots of stories here. I don't want to get stuck on one. So he was delivered. Matthew 14, verse 23. This is the New Living Testament. After sending them home, Jesus went up in the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Oh, you're going to like this next sentence. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble Far away from land. You didn't get it. Jesus knew the disciples were in trouble far away from land. He knew they were in trouble. He didn't just sit there. What did he do? Jesus knew they were in trouble. Why did Jesus walk on the water? What was the reason he even walked on the water? Because his disciples were in trouble. Because he loved them and they were in trouble and he knew it. So why did he go out there? To rescue them. To help them. He didn't just stay there where he was praying. He went out there to help them. 
Does Jesus know you're in trouble? Will he walk on the water to save you? Does he care? Is he just going to leave you out there to drown in the wind and the waves? Does he know? Well, let's look at this some more. I saw, saw something yesterday. Just stirred me up. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the wind and waves. And, of course, you know the story. Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And so he came, and when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. And he said, Save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Now, we all know the story about how Peter got in trouble on the next part and said, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? How many of you didn't know that part? That's what I thought. Everybody in here knew it. But how many of you know the part right before it that it says, Lord, save me, And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and saved him. He didn't correct him. He didn't teach him. Until he was safe and sound. In a secure place. And he ain't going to be teaching you in the middle of a storm. And if anybody told you he was, they lied to you. He's going to get you safe and sound on dry ground or in the safe boat. Then he's going to teach you something. If you're sinking, he's going to say, come on up here. He's not going to stand there and watch you go. And say, you deserve it. You should have listened. It ain't happening. Peter messed up. He should have kept his eyes on Jesus. How many of us messed up and didn't keep our eyes on Jesus? Dear Lord, how many times? But all you got to do is say, oh, Lord, save me. And what's he going to do? Reach out that hand and pull you right in and save you and spare you and pull you up and not let you go down another step. He's going to pull you up and set you back in that boat or on the dry ground. You're not going under so long as you call on him. It's not happening. So he rescued him. He did teach him. Peter, where's your faith? What happened, son? But he saved him. He needed saving. All right. Y'all want another one? All right. Exodus. 
14, NIV. Verse 1. You know the story. Pharaoh's following close behind. He said, uh, y'all go here. Telling them exactly where to go. And they'll think, I thought this part was funny. It says, uh, verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in a land of confusion hemmed in by the desert. I just wonder how many of the Israelites thought they were confused <laughs> at that point. Yeah, not only does Pharaoh think they're confused, I think they thought they were confused. He said, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart, and um, what have we done? We've lost all their services. And Pharaoh took this huge army with him, 600 of his best chariots and all the other chariots. And uh, in verse 10, um, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and the Egyptians were marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? But, verse verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better. But verse 13, Moses answered the people. And what did he say? Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. Verse 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. But what I wanted you to see was, you all know the story. He raised his staff. He stretched it out. The water's divided. Verse 19. The angel of God that had been traveling in front of them started going behind them. Evidently, they got that battle won with Pharaoh. How did they do that? I didn't see one place in here, as I was reading that first part, where one of those people had faith of their own to get across that Red Sea. All they had faith for was to murmur and complain. But they had faith in Moses. And they trusted him. And they trusted in Moses' God. And sometimes God will do all sorts of things for babies trusting their leaders. And he'll lead them, and he'll protect them, and he'll save them, and he'll spare them, and he'll bring them through. But then later on, what happened? They had to buck up for themselves. But in the beginning, they could trust their leader. And Moses was able to hear from God and the Red Sea parted and saved all their lives. And all the horses, this is where we got the song, Horse and Rider Thrown into the Sea. I don't know that song. I'm not going to sing it like Dave. I told Dave everything was good except for the singing. I cried that part, so 
Selah. But they were able to trust their leader. Even though they were murmuring and complaining, if you don't have faith for yourself, you need to get with somebody that does. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need to hook with somebody that does until you can get your faith built up to get there. Because sometimes you've gotten so weak, you can't do it by yourself. But you need somebody to say, hey, come on, just follow me. We'll get through this. And you can get through it. Because they may have more faith than you in that situation. They may have come through a situation like that before, and you may not have. You may be settled for the murmuring complaining. But find somebody that will help you step through it. Maybe they've come through it in finances before. Maybe they've come through it in marriage situations before. Maybe they've come through it in uh, bankruptcies before. I don't know what the situation is with you. But find somebody that will help you build your faith in that situation or get in some word over that situation. But don't just sit there and murmur and complain about it because then you'll go down. But there is strength with someone that's stronger than you in that situation. So find it. All right, the next one. Isaiah 37, verse 33. The Lord was kind of upset with the king of Assyria and his armies. And so verse 35, I'll just skip down. I just want you to get this one little part here because I think you'll like it. This is the new living also, guys. Isaiah 37, 35. For my own honor... And for the sake, for the sake, for the sake, say that, of my servant David. Now, did he love David? Does he love you? Does he love David more than he loved you? Some of you think so. You didn't even answer. You want to try that raising of the hands thing again? Does he love David more than he loves you? I don't think so. He's no respecter of persons. It says, I will defend this city and protect it. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Now, how many devils you got bothering you? Is it more than 185,000? That's quite a few. Let's see. I can't even think of 185,000 devils that could bother you. You reckon there's more that's with God than is against you? Does he love David more than he loves you? Would he do something for your honor and for your sake just because you love him? Would he? You're just answering it like Dave said the other night or Rob or whoever said it. I forget who said it because you know it, Rick, because it's the right answer. Do you believe it? Would he do it just for you? Yes. <coughs> I don't think so. I think he's a respecter of persons and he does things for David that he wouldn't do for you. You're not convinced of it. I can tell it by looking at your faces. The 
Let's try it one more time. Would he take care of 185,000 demons that are harassing you? Why would he do it? He died for you. So he would do that for us. I believe it. 185,000 is not a big number to him. He'd take care of them. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, NIV. Now the apostles was out doing some works, and they was getting miracles. And the Sadducees was sad, you see. (laughs) Verse 17 says they were actually really full of jealousy. And that's what usually happens. And so verse 18 said they arrested them and put them in jail. Verse 19 But during the night, an angel of the Lord. You got an angel of the Lord? Did you lose your angel when you were five? Came and opened the prison doors or the jail and brought them out. And the jail people went looking for them. And they were all upset because they couldn't find them. In verse 25, it says, look, the men you put in jail are standing out in the temple courts teaching the people. (laughs) Acts 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him into prison and handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now you get the picture. Four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries, stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. And a light shone in the cell. I'm thinking this is what happened. My version of it. He went over there and he kicked Peter. He said, get up, Peter. He said he struck him. But he kicked him probably on the side. He may have struck him with his sword or something. He said, Peter, wake up. Get up quick, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said, put on your clothes and your sandals And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them uh, by itself, and then he went through it, and they walked the length of one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Surely the Lord sent his angel to rescue me. And he rescued me from Herod's clutches. So, circumstances that you're in has got you in this major, major, major prison. You got 16 guards all around you. You can't do nothing. You can't spend any money because your money is tied up in this. You can't go anywhere because your kids are sick. You can't go anywhere because you've got cancer. You can't do anything because you're about to have to file bankruptcy. You can't do anything because you're about to get a divorce. You can't do anything because mama's sick and you've got to take care of her. You're bound in prison. There's all kinds of prisons. You're in a prison of some kind. Can you be delivered? How? How? You still ain't got it. You'll get it. How? Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel's in a lion's den. How many of you don't know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? He was told not to pray, so he did it, I think, just to spite him. He went and prayed three times with his window. and So they threw him in the lion's den. Verse 3, Daniel was so distinguished. It's my favorite part. This is the NIV. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the sidetraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge against Daniel for his conduct or government affairs. But when they were unable to do so, because they could find no corruption in him, because he was so trustworthy, he was not corrupt or negligent. These men said, we can't find any basis to charge anything against this man unless we find something against the law of his God. Now, I mean... Wouldn't it be great if we could just purpose that that was us always? That nothing, no ought of any kind could be found against us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That everything we did was exceptional qualities and that that nothing corrupt, that we were totally trustworthy, that nothing negligent, nothing could be found against us in any way except for something that God said you pray three times a day or, or God said you do just exactly this and somebody had to find something legalistic in the Bible to... To set you up? Well, they set him up. Anybody ever set you up? 
Daniel had a choice right here. This was Daniel's choice. Get bitter, bent out of shape, hot, mad, lose his cool, lose his salvation, or trust God. You can't do both. Which one did he do? Evidently, 99.9% of the crowd chose they're going to get bent out of shape because nobody answered. Huh? Let's try it again. What are you going to do in a situation like that? It's difficult when somebody sets you up that way. All he's doing is praying. How easy would it be to get bent out of shape when you've done absolutely nothing wrong? But can you trust God and get bent out of shape at the same time? It's impossible. What did he need right then? He needed his confidence and he needed his faith. He needed to be able to trust God. And that's what he did. We all know the story. He still prayed three times a day. But, verse 20. Let's see. Uh, verse 16 says, They gave the order, they threw him into the lion's den, and then the king called for Daniel. And he was upset. And he said, um, Is your living God, the God you serve continually, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. Now let me tell you something as leaders. Don't let the people under you make you do something you don't want to do or you're not led to do. Because this king didn't want to do this. He was kind of trapped by his people. Going on. Verse 22, my God has sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And the next sentence, they have not hurt me. How could they not hurt him? There was absolutely no hurt in him. You can have lots of kinds of different hurts. But they did not hurt him. No hurts. Because I was found innocent. You can be innocent of lots of different things. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get upset. He wasn't hurt at those men. He wasn't hurt at anybody. There was no hurt in him. So he was delivered without hurt. Can you come out of the lion's den without hurt? Yes. can be difficult, but can you? First Peter 5, 8, we all know it. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is what? As a roaring lion. 
Daniel, chapter 3. You all know this story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow. They too had a chance to be hurt. Verse 25. He answered and he said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And what? This is King James, guys. Yeah. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. Have you figured it out yet? really, really so simple that the devil complicates it. Every one of these stories, you have about one split second to do what the Lord is leading you to do. When Peter was in jail, the angel of the Lord said, Get up, Peter. What if he would have argued with him and said, Who are you? What do you want? Leave me alone. I'm asleep. Would he have been delivered? What about Elijah? What if he just said, Go stand on the top of the mountain or on that mountain? And Elijah would have said, You want me to climb that thing? Do you know how long that's going to take? You already told me I was weak and I had need enough. And you, now you want me to go... Climb? So I can hear more? All you have to do What did Gideon have to do? Go in his strength. Take that step. Do exactly what God told him to do. Then he'd tell him the next step. Then he'd tell him the next step. And as I was thinking about it yesterday, I kept thinking, oh, story after story after story after story. Look at Jonah and the whale, or whatever fish it was. I mean, he's sitting in there, and he's wrapped all up with, I would call it, the circumstances all around him. Now, he can stay in those circumstances, or he can do what God tells him to do and start tearing off those circumstances. And you don't have to have a lot of strength to do what God tells you to do because the great part about it is, you remember my story? I ain't got to do it. He's going to do it for you. All you've got to do. So simple. 
I mean, Ned in the first reader, simple. This is how simple it is, okay? You got bills, okay? And they're past you. And God says, this is what he says, okay, get up and go to work today and be the best employee they got. That's it. That's all you got to do. God's going to see you. Somebody else is going to come along. They're going to see you. And they're going to say, man, they're good. I think I'm going to move them over here to this other place. Give them a promotion. And you thought, I'm just going to work today. Or God says, get up and get to work 10 minutes early today. You think, what's the point in that? Or God says, you're coming to church today. Give that person $3. $3? What good is $3, God? $3 is what God told you to do. That's what good it is. It is so simple to get delivered and rescued and set free. So simple. All you've got to do is the very split second he tells you to do something. Don't argue with him. Don't reason it out in your head. Don't wonder about it. Don't let the devil come and steal it from you. Don't question it. Don't think about it. Because if you think about it, you're not going to do it. Because the devil will give you 62,000 reasons why you shouldn't do it. Because he is the master of, uh, not deceptions, even so much of reasonings. He is the master of reasonings. He, He might not even try to deceive you about it, but he'll reason it out with you. Well, think about this. Give that $3. Well, you know, $3 is not very much. And they'll just think that you're being cheap. And uh, they'll just think that you don't have very much money. And they'll just think, you know, who are you giving me $3? What's $3? Do you think I can't afford $3? How many reasons will he give you not to give the $3? When all God told you was, Chad, give Jerome $3. Would you do it? That's all it would take. Or invite this person to lunch. Or pay this person's bills. Or call your wife and tell her you love her. Maybe you've been separated for five years. Call your brother. Tell him you forgive him. That's all it takes. And you may not think that calling your brother and telling him that you forgive him has absolutely anything to do with your finances coming out of the hole. (laughs) Or you may not think calling your brother and telling him you forgive him has anything to do with that cancer going away. But you got to obey God. And if that's the way God wants to do it, guess what? That's the way we got to do it. And you can put yourself through all kind of turmoil. Ask me how I know. Because I did it. 
I mean, I tried to figure out in my head, how can we be here? And how can we be here? And how can we do this? And how can we do this? And who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? And, and I'd lay awake at night and my head would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'd try to figure it out. And I'd come in. You can ask them. Ask anybody. They'll tell you. And I'd be a basket case. I'd go, what are we going to do? Oh, absolutely no faith. Because I wouldn't do what God told me to do. Shut up, Phyllis. Let me take care of it. Go to sleep. Eat. I didn't eat, did I? Not so much. Stupid. Because I couldn't fix it anyway. You can't fix it anyway either. But what you can do is you can go, okay, God, what? Go to sleep. Wake up. And he says, okay, Phyllis, do this. That? Okay. That's what I do. Then that leads to that. And you think, that? Had nothing to do with that. But it's the answer that you were looking for. Or the person that you were looking for. Or the thing that you were looking for. Because our little brains ain't smart enough to have all the answers. But we think we are. You know, it's like we're not like Phyllis Know-It-All. I don't know it all. It's the Holy Ghost that knows it all. And you know what? You don't know it all either. But God knows it all, guys. And if we'll just take that tiny, tiny step like Elijah did, like Gideon did, go in the strength that we have. Look to him like Peter did. You're going under. Stick out your hand. Call to him. He's going to save you. He's going to lift you up. He's going to deliver you. Maybe you messed up. He'll pull you up. He'll rescue you. And then you look to him. What did Paul and Silas do? They were in a cell. They couldn't have been in a very big place. It's not like today's jails, let me tell you. They couldn't do much of anything. But they could do one thing. The thing that the Lord told them to do. That was all they had to do. They prayed and they sang praises. Did they think? Would you have thought? Praying and singing praises would shake a jail and release you. I mean, I stand up here and thoughts of things are just going through my mind. Going fishing. Getting your tax money. I mean, you think about it. You look at the Bible. Thing after thing after thing after thing. Absolutely no logic behind it. The Bible says it. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. 
And what we're trying to do is be wise. That's when we're going to be the fools. But if we'll just sit back and trust him and do what he says and take that one little tiny step. And then when he says take the other one, take the other one. And it may look like it's going in a complete opposite direction from what you need to go. But do it. And when you do it, he'll lead you the right way. And then he'll take you the other way. And then he'll take you the other way. Sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. And the thing that I found in common about both of these guys, of faith, Elijah and Peter, what were they doing? They were sleeping. When the Lord started talking to them. They wasn't fretting and they wasn't worrying and they wasn't staying up all night long. And maybe you think you can't hear. Maybe you think, oh God, I've, I've, there's absolutely no way I can hear. I've got some good news for you. You want to hear another one? Let's see if I can find my place here. Numbers 22. I know you can, I know you can, I know you can. I don't even have to tell you the story. I just got to tell you what, who's involved in it. Balaam. You got it? Yeah. You can't hear. But maybe that donkey you riding can. Maybe you think you've missed it so many times. That's okay. Maybe that dog in your house can hear. <laughs> hey, if he can use a donkey, he can use a dog, he can use a cat, he can use a bird, he can use a fish, he can use whatever he wants to use, and you around something. And Balaam would not listen to God. And you can see it. It said the angel of the Lord, the donkey got afraid. Let's see where it says. Verse 23. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Now you reckon your dog could see an angel of the Lord? Or your cat? Or your bird or your goldfish, Dave? You don't have a goldfish. They're in their pond now. Oh, you're in trouble. You can't hear from the Lord anymore. And you still got your cat and your dog, so you'll be okay. But you see what I'm saying? If a donkey can talk. If God has to use a donkey, I mean, if He has to, He will. To save you. To spare you. To rescue you. He did it to Balaam. He is not a respecter of persons. He'll do it for you. He's got to come up. He's got to say, Giovanna, you. Tell you. Turn this way. Buy this. Do that. Invest this. Do that. He'll do whatever he has to do. You have one job. Say, save me, Lord. That's it. 
That's all you have to do. And he'll reach out that hand and he'll pull you up from sinking. And he won't yell, he won't scream, he won't do anything. He's just going to save you. That's how much he loves you. And it don't matter how bad a mess you got yourself into, he'll help you fix it. Because he loves you. And it don't matter how bad it looks or how bad it seems or how many armies are encamped around about you. He doesn't love David more than he loves you. And he'll fix it for you. Because he's no respecter of persons. And he'll pull you out and he'll save you and he'll fix you and he'll get you right back on the right path. All you've got to do is do what he says do. No matter what it looks like or no matter what it feels like or no matter what it sounds like or no matter how stupid it feels or how dumb it looks, just do it. And he'll get you back on course. And he'll get you back on path. Do you believe it? Yes. Stand up with me.